0: Good morning church. It is uh, good to be with you. Um, I'm excited we, we live here officially uh, and it has been a great time, uh, a smooth process getting to Athens, Georgia, a place that we never imagined that we'd live but we're very thankful that we do now. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we'll be looking at the first 12 verses there together this morning. Uh, Listen, I just got to say thank you to so many people that uh, Macy, my wife, and I have come into contact with this week over the past week and a half. It seems every single person we meet is just incredibly kind and gracious, and I just need you to know we are really excited to be here. There's something about this place that just feels like home for us. Uh, I know we've only been here a week and a half, and we don't know too much about the area yet, but everything that people say about this church... When we have conversations with you about why you're at this place, it it really does just amaze us. And so know that we're very, very excited uh, to see what the Lord does over the coming years and to be with you um, moving forward. Uh, This morning, we get to look at a really awesome passage in Scripture where Jesus heals somebody. And I think we usually expect when somebody is sick and comes into the presence of Jesus, When we read about these things in the Gospels, we usually expect there to be somebody healed. If a sick person comes into contact with them, usually we can assume that by the end of the passage, there's been some kind of healing, some kind of freedom, some kind of person that has been set free from their burden or ailment or whatever it may be. And so, know this this morning that as we read through this text together, we're gonna see somebody healed, but we need to understand this morning exactly what it is that we do in response to the authority of Jesus. Jesus heals people because he has the authority to do so. So as we each live under the authority of Christ, what do we do? How do we approach his authority? How do we view Christ knowing that he is authoritative over everything in all of the universe? How does this affect us on our good days and on our bad days? I mean, if we'll be honest, there are some Sundays where we are very excited to come to church. It's really easy to get out of bed and get here, and you're excited to see all the people, and you're excited to drink the Jittery Joes, which we're learning is really, that's good stuff. It's awesome. the Orange cups. You're excited to get to your group and, and talk about what the Lord's done this week. You're excited to come sit and worship and sing songs, but if we're honest, there are also Sundays where you don't really want to get out of bed. You don't really want to come to this place. Maybe it's been a rough week, A rough month where maybe you're just a little upset with God right now, where you're unsure why the circumstances of your life are the way that they are. And so we all experience these things. I mean, this is just being human, right? Like life, the the ebbs and flows, the circumstances change, the ups and the downs, the good days and the bad. So what is our approach then? How do we deal with these things? Because if there's one thing we can all agree on, we know that God has a higher authority than anyone else than anything else. And so how do we submit to that authority despite the difficulties in life, the good days, and the bad days? Well, let's look in Mark chapter two together, starting in verse one, and just look at these first couple verses together to see what's taking place. It says this, and when he returned to Capernaum, referring to Jesus, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room. Not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So this is pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. And Capernaum, this home he was at, it was basically his home base for the time being. So Jesus had already been out. We see in Mark chapter 1 he had already gone out and done some healings and teaching people. And people were starting to hear about this teacher named Jesus and the amazing things that he was saying and doing. And so there's no day off for the Messiah. He comes home, and what happens? People start showing up from all over. We know from a text in Luke that describes the story as well, that, that people from surrounding areas had come from outside of town just so that they might hear Jesus. And so when he's at home, it says that many were gathered together there. That there were so many people in this room, That it was packed out. I mean, we're talking maybe 30 people. I don't know, how many people can you fit in your living room? 30 people, 40 people, maybe 50 people. You squish them all together. But they're packed out to the door, Mark says. So much so that maybe there were even people outside of the room just trying to listen. I mean, everybody wanted to meet this Jesus and hear and see the things that he was saying and the things that he was doing. And Jesus was doing what he came to do. He was preaching the word to them. He was teaching them. And as we see what's about to take place, I I want you to know that there are two groups of people that I want us to focus on this morning surrounding Jesus. You know, the the interesting thing about Jesus is he's pretty consistent. He heals people. He loves people. He forgives people. He's constant. This is who he is. We see him this way in in every story in scripture. He, He doesn't change. And so as we see Jesus do what he does, We need to examine the people in this room and learn how they approach Christ and his authority. Let's look at this in verse 3 together. As we begin to see this first group of people, it says this, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Macy and I lived in an apartment our first year of marriage, um, 800 square feet. We were like, wow, we love each other. This has been great. Let's move to a bigger space. Uh And then we were in a townhome for four years, and we rented that. We didn't own it. But as of I don't know, 10 days ago, 11 days ago, we're homeowners, we own a home. It's, a, it's an interesting feeling, right? And here's the deal, okay? If I had any ability to heal anybody, I don't want you tearing a hole in my roof, right, to get that done. Like there are things I'm thinking about now that I've never thought about before as a homeowner and we're only a weekend. And so just understand the situation. Jesus is teaching the word, and as he's teaching to a packed-out room, a little beam of light may be shown through the ceiling. And you look up, and it's like, is that a hand digging through my roof? Is that a person looking down through my ceiling? Like, that hole wasn't there. There was not a skylight here. These four men bring this paralytic. They carry him in on a bed, and they realize when they get to the house That there's no way they're gonna get this guy to Jesus with all these people here. So they do what any of us would maybe do. They go on the roof and they rip a hole in his roof. Now, I love this because you would think if you ripped a hole in somebody's roof, they might not be more likely to help you where you need help. But yet they are so desperate and so sure to get this person to Jesus, and they know that this is what Jesus does and this is who he is, that it is worth tearing a hole in the roof to lower this man in his bed down to where Jesus is. There is a desperation to these four men to to get this man to the one place, to the one person that they know that he needs to get to. I mean, let's think about this for a second. These four are, are a wonderful example, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but about our faith. The way in which we approach the authority of Christ, man, they were willing to do whatever it took. I mean, think about this. They knew Jesus was at that house. Maybe they had heard stories. Maybe they came from the surrounding area. Maybe that was their hometown. Maybe they were from Capernaum. But either way, these four men had this paralytic on this bed, and they were carrying him because they knew they had to get this man to Jesus so that he could be healed. We don't know how long he was paralyzed for. We don't know the circumstances that led there. We don't know if he had been that way his whole life. Here's what we know, that he needed to get to Jesus. In fact, when they get there, they don't say, okay, well, we got you here. We did the work, and so we're just going to drop you at the door, and maybe they can crowd surf you to the center of the room. Maybe you can army crawl to the center of the room. No, no, listen, they said, listen, no, we're going to do everything in our power to get you as close to Jesus as possible. And when they do so, and they lower him down to Jesus, Jesus looks at them, and what we see in verse 5 is that when he looks at them, it says that Jesus saw their faith. We don't know much about the four. We don't know who they were, where they came from, what their relationships were, if they were friends, if they were family. We don't know what their relationship was to the paralytic man. We don't know any of these things, but what we know is that they were marked by their faith. I mean, it's amazing, Right? For the only thing to really be about you in Scripture is the Messiah looking at you and going, man, that person has faith. So I don't know about you, but as we walk through this story, again, we're about to look at another group of people. But I think the good side of this, the people we want to be like, are the people that are marked by their faith. This absolute desperation to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. To do whatever it takes to tear down any obstacles, to do whatever it takes, right, to tear down a roof, if that's what it means for somebody to come to know Jesus. But as we go on, we see that there's another group of people in this room. Let's look at this together, because in verse 5, we'll pick up back there. It says, Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. In verse 6, it says this. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, Jesus has authority in this place. I mean, A, he's in his own home, right? So you would hope you have authority in your place where you're staying. But he's also Jesus. He's fully man, but he's fully God. And so there are some things that maybe he hasn't yet revealed about his authority and the depth and the greatness and, and, and the ongoing dominion that is underneath his authority that these people don't understand or know yet, but his authority whether they said it out loud or not, was being challenged by these scribes. Now, these scribes, maybe you're familiar with them or not, but scribes at the time were religious experts. They were experts in the religious law. Like, they knew everything, They had studied and memorized and wrote and copied and wrote and studied and memorized, and they were the experts. And so it's likely that they were in this place because they heard this rabbi going around town, this new teacher on the scene was saying some things and was causing a ruckus, a stir, was doing some things that maybe made them go, ah, what is going on with this guy? What's the deal with this? We need to go check this out. They thought, man, we need to go and hear the things that he's saying. And make sure that, you know, it's all good. It's all in line with the religious text, with the laws of our people. And so they're sitting there, and they don't say anything, but it's very obvious to Jesus, because he can read minds, because he's God, because he has all authority over everything, that they are doubting him, that they're challenging his authority. Now, I don't know if you've ever had your authority challenged. We probably don't have as much authority amongst ourselves as Jesus does. And here's the deal, if you're a parent, I'm sure your kids have challenged your authority uh, many times, right? But I'm not a parent yet, Um, but I am a student pastor. (laughs) And my first week as a student pastor ever, uh, I was taking a group of seniors to the middle of nowhere in North Carolina for a senior trip. Now, here's the fun thing. I planned none of this trip. Someone else did this. I started five days before we got in the vans and we left. And so basically... The conversation was, hey, I know you didn't plan this thing. I know you're now responsible for it, but I got it. You just come along for the ride. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. Just build those relationships, get to know those seniors. And I thought, okay, great, awesome. This is going to be great. Well, we uh, went to the middle of nowhere, and the next day, in the middle of nowhere, we drove even deeper into the middle of nowhere in the mountains uh, to take these seniors to a waterfall. Now, that sounds really great, except when we got to the place where the waterfall is, It was another hour walk into the middle of even deeper, in the deeper of the middle of nowhere. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm now responsible for all of these lives. There's no road, there's no paved path, there's no cell service. We are in the middle of nowhere. And we come out to this oasis and it really was beautiful. I get why we were there. It was awesome. And we had a great day, except there were like 30 people and they were all just jumping off of the waterfall into this pool below. Yeah. And I'm like, okay breathe, you got this, everybody's going to be safe, it's going to be good, dear Jesus, please help us, this is crazy. And being from Florida, you just, you know, uh, growing up on the coast, you, you hear too many stories of people diving off of docks, off of boats, into too shallow of water, and becoming paralyzed. And so I say to these seniors, guys, listen, I love y'all. I know we're still getting to know each other. I know I just started this thing. But I just need one thing from you. Please do not dive off of this waterfall. Just don't dive. You know that moment when you tell somebody not to do something and you can see it in their eyes that they're going to do the thing you ask them not to do? See, I saw a glimmer in one senior's eyes, and I promise you, he stared at me as I'm saying it. And he smiled a little bit. I probably shouldn't have told them this on top of the waterfall, but he smiled at me a little bit. And then he just ran. He didn't even put his arms out in front. Of me, and then just dived off the waterfall, staring straight at my eyes. He just jumped into the water, arms at his side. I'm like, okay, well, I clearly have no authority in this situation. I clearly have tried to exercise it, but I don't have the power to control these humans anymore. Like, what are we gonna do? And thankfully everybody was alright. There was only one busted eardrum. It was fine but it was a challenge to my authority. And what we have is the Messiah, the God of the universe in his living room, where these scribes, these religious leaders have showed up. And here's the deal, if I could pick any superpower in the world, it would not be the ability to know when people are thinking about how much they disagree with me. And yet that's what Jesus has here. Jesus is sitting here going, okay, you didn't say it out loud, and you might think you have a good poker face, but I'm God, I can read your thoughts. See, he knew, he sensed in his spirit that they were saying these questions to themselves. Like, who is this man that he can speak like that? Who is this blasphemer? Like, who can forgive sins but God alone? Like, who, who does this guy think he is? What is the deal with this teacher? And Jesus perceives this. And, they, you know, to be honest with you, maybe we give too much flack to these scribes and the religious leaders at the time. I mean, they were doing their job, right? They ask an important question. What they would have known from their scriptures at the time would be that, yeah, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a good question. Surely God's the only one that can do that. We see prophets in the Old Testament time and time again talk about how it's the Lord, the Father, the God himself that puts away sins. So how can this person say that? That's a good question. Listen, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with being confused and trying to understand there's nothing wrong with having even doubts at sometimes. Here's the deal. The problem is that as they asked these questions, they were so shielded by their own arrogance and their own pride that they couldn't see what was unfolding in front of them. Listen, these two groups of people the four men that in desperation did everything that they could to get their friend to Jesus, and then this group of scribes in this room are at the same place the four men came to. They both knew where Jesus was. They probably both heard the same stories about Jesus and what he talked about and what he did. Like they had very similar ideas of maybe who this Jesus was, except it was all different in their approach to his authority. So what made the difference? What is it? Because while the four men were marked by their faith, we see something different in these scribes. They're marked by their pride. And as Jesus senses this in them, he says to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Why do you question these things in your hearts? He says, What's easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? See, it's all in the approach. I, I, I told the students earlier um, during group's hour, I said, Hey, I know we don't know each other super well yet, but I need you to not judge me for what I'm about to tell everybody later in the sermon. Um, here's the deal, okay? Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a youngest of two of two sons. I'm, I'm, I'm the spoiled baby in the family. Let's go if that's you. Uh, and my mom, man, spoiled me a ton growing up. And I really think that marriage the past five years is just learning how to not be a gross dude. You know what I'm saying? It's just slowly undoing those things. And one of the things I never considered was important or fun Or uh, really, I just never wanted to do it. It It's just like dusting and vacuuming, you know. Um, Here's the deal. Dust is everywhere. And you you dust and you vacuum and it just shows back up again, right? Like I don't, I I just want to live with it. It's fine. It's all good, you know. But then we bought this thing. Listen to this. We bought this thing called a Dyson V7 Animal, okay. The Dyson V7 Animal is like, a vacuum from the future. It looks like a space gun. It looks like somebody handed me a proton pack from Ghostbusters and said, have at it. Like, when I hold this thing, I can feel the power. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is, it is intense. And now I am a person that is just oddly obsessed with vacuuming and dusting. There are like 10 different attachments you can switch out of that thing. It just works really well. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm weirdly obsessed with it. So students, don't judge me. I promise I'm kind of cool sometimes, but I do like to vacuum in dust now. I don't know. I don't know. See, nothing really changed about it. Like dust is still dust, but my approach is different, right? So what we have to understand is that the approach of the four, it was their faith. They came to Jesus in faith. But the scribes approached Jesus in a different way. They approach with pride, with with arrogance, with, with apathy, with criticism. Man, and it changed everything about how they saw who Jesus was. And what we see take place next is as Jesus asks this question of, hey, I know you're doubting me, and I know you're criticizing me, and I know you think that you have authority over me and that you're the experts, but what's easier for me to say to this man in front of me? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier for me to say get up and walk? Now, what Jesus has done, he's taken their challenge to his authority, and he's presented kind of his own challenge. He said, hey, listen, a lot of you could go around and say, yeah, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, and you wouldn't know if it was true or not. There's no way of testing that. But it's a different thing to say, hey, get up and walk. Because if he doesn't get up and walk, well, now we realize you don't have the authority. And so Jesus says, what's easier? Let's pick this up in verse 10. It says that but that you, Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And... He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You know, Jesus does what he does. He is who he is. He has this authority, but it's the people around him that either have faith or doubt it. And it's so amazing to me That what we see in this moment is just the place and the time where Jesus makes this announcement about who he is. This is the declaration. He says that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, Jesus is referencing a text in Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold. See, Jesus, whether the scribes realized it or whether it went over their head, in this moment says, first of all, I know what you're thinking, and let me just tell you, I do have authority to do this. And just so that you know the Son of Man has authority, hold up, Son of Man? It's in this moment, in a, in a living room, in Capernaum, not in a stadium surrounded by followers and fans, Not with uh, loved ones and family and people that he just really wanted to hear. No, it's in a room full of people that are faithful, people that have just come to hear and see what the new exciting thing is, and people that are severely doubting who this guy is. In a living room with a hole in his roof and dust coming through and a man's just been dropped through the ceiling, that Jesus decides to say, hey, I'm the son of man. I have authority over everything. My kingdom, my dominion is everlasting. You can't touch it, you can't destroy it, and you can't stop it. That's who I am. He makes this declaration of his authority as people sit in this room gathered around him questioning whether or not it's true. And yet Jesus goes further to prove this authority, and I think this tells us everything about how we should approach him and how we should live under the authority of him. Because we all have good days and we all have bad days. We have days where we're just overjoyed with the things that the Lord is doing and teaching us. And we have days where maybe we're apathetic, we're tired, but we're ready to give up where we don't want to worship God, we don't want to read our Bible, we don't want to live as a Jesus follower, like we all have those days. So how do we live in a way where we're more often marked by our faith than we are our arrogance, our pride, our struggles? What, what is the key? What's the answer? And I think the answer for reconciling these two things is in the paralytic man. See, it's amazing, right, that no one was astonished by a hole being ripped open in the roof and somebody being dropped through. It doesn't say that anyone was astonished or in awe by Jesus reading the thoughts of the people there, or the things he was teaching or saying. No, what the scripture tells us is that when he told the man to pick up his bed and go home, in verse 12 it says that he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. It's, it's the paralytic man that God displayed his authority for all to see. The, the, the German theologian Johann Bingle said this about it. I, I love this. He said, the bed that had borne the man, now the man bore the bed. I mean, think about this, the very thing which carried this man to the house in Capernaum, the the very object which lowered him to the feet of Jesus, the thing that was evidence of his weakness, the, the thing that was evidence of his sickness, of his struggle, was now a display for the authority of God, for the forgiveness in his life. And as he gets up and walks out, Jesus uses this man and the healing of his life to teach us that, man, what was the visible manifestation of the authority of God, in fact, proved that internally Jesus had forgiven his sins. Listen, we all are going to face things we're not ready for. We're all going to struggle with things we wish we didn't have to struggle with. We're all going to find ourselves in circumstances that are difficult and feel like it's beyond what we're able to do. But I want to encourage you this morning, church, that as you live your life and as you walk under the authority of Christ, we have to recognize it and follow him in faith, but we have to constantly try and combat our own pride and arrogance, our apathy. As these things begin to build up, as sin begins to build up, as we begin to struggle and face these things, the way that we put faith first, the way we approach the authority of God, is in that we display our weaknesses. Listen, this is what Christianity is. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, he he was talking about how he had a thorn in his flesh and he just kept praying to God, saying, God, will you just heal me? Will you just take this thorn away? Like, will you just do something about this? And he says that the Lord's response to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." This is central to your walk with Christ. It's it's central about your approach to his authority and how you live under him, knowing that you're going to face things you can't handle, knowing there's going to be things that happen that you don't understand why they're happening. It is your weaknesses, because when you lean on your weaknesses and you display your weaknesses, you're not telling everybody, look at me. You're not telling everybody, hey, I'm ashamed of this. You're not piling the guilt on, the shame on. No, what you're doing is opening up a clear window to the power and authority of Jesus to forgive and to heal. Now, here's the deal. I want you to understand that when we're marked by faith and we put our weaknesses first, then we live as the paralytic man does. We go out. We leave people in awe. Like, the Lord wants to use each and every one of you to display his power and his authority. But it means that you're going to have to start telling your story. It means you're going to have to start putting your weaknesses up front for people to hear and see and talk about and know so that they can see truly the authority of Christ. I I doubt that the paralytic man, when the four came for him, was like, oh, yeah, Jesus. No, yeah, take me to him. That sounds great. Oh, forgiveness of sins? Yeah, no, that sounds great. No, no. He was probably concerned with his legs, probably concerned with his legs. The four men probably said, hey, listen, there's a guy that we heard about. I I really think you can walk again if we have faith in this guy and we take you to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I might have some friends that don't really wanna come to church. I might have some friends that might not be interested in Jesus, but I can tell you this, everybody has some kind of brokenness in their life Everybody has some kind of struggle and hurting in their life. Everybody needs forgiveness for something and healing for something. And I'll tell you this, okay, when you tell people, hey, listen, listen, Jesus, I know you're not interested in this. I know you're not interested in church. I I understand that maybe you're not into the religion thing, but I need you to know that this is how he healed me. This is how he forgave me. And I know you're experiencing this in your life. And I just tell you, if you just go to Jesus with me, you will find healing and forgiveness in your life too. We got to lead out front with our weaknesses. And if we want to see Athens, Bogart, this whole area that all y'all live in, spread out throughout this place and I'm still learning how to drive around, I'll tell you this, if we want to reach this place for the glory of God, we have to display our weaknesses. So I urge you this morning church, I urge you. Man, don't leave this place today. Don't leave this place today without affirming your faith in Christ to heal you, to forgive your sins but to strike down the arrogance in your heart, the pride, the apathy, the hurt. Listen, today, this morning, let's lay those things at the feet of Jesus and say, God, you have authority over these things in my life. And I will display whatever weaknesses in my life that I can so that I can display your authority and power to others. Let's pray. Father, this is who you are, Jesus This is what you do. So, Father, today we ask that your spirit be present in this room, that it would convict each of our hearts, Lord, that it would call us to repentance, but, Lord, so that we might find transformation, we might find healing and forgiveness, Lord, so that we might find boldness and courage to display our weaknesses to those around us so that they can find hope in your Son. Church, as you pray this morning, I just want to challenge you to be bold, to be confident, and to make a decision this morning that you're not going to be ruled by your struggles. You're not going to be ruled by the circumstances or the ebb and flow of life. No, as you pray, I encourage you to affirm a faith in Jesus that overcomes all of those things. Because if Jesus had the power to overcome sin, had the power to overcome death, to make a way for each of us, then surely he has the authority and power to overcome any of the struggles in your life. It's this morning, it's this moment that I ask you to lay those things at the feet of Jesus, approach his authority in faith, And when we leave this place today, let's put our weaknesses on display. So, Father, we ask you today to do a work in our hearts. Lord, that we may lift up your son with genuine worship, God, proclaiming his authority over all. Lord, help us in this. We pray all of these things in your name.